Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So let me get this straight. Trump talked with Putin at least 12 times during his presidency, and we have basically no idea what was actually said during those conversations. We have somewhat of an idea, but it's very limited. Uh, so we had a good conversation about many different things. Okay. Did you ask him not to meddle? Uh, we didn't discuss that. Really, we didn't discuss it. We discussed five or six things. Um, and considering how long they would be speaking, I mean, sometimes these conversations went on for more than an hour, sometimes two hours. Wow. Uh, it is very unlikely that we ever got the full picture. Mr. President, did you address the election meddling issues that came up in the Mueller report with Mr. Putin tonight? We discussed it. He actually uh, sort of smiled when he said uh, something to the effect that It started off as a mountain, and it ended up being a mouse. Vladimir Putin is a fairly manipulative individual, and he has been known to try to flatter Trump, and Trump himself, of course, is very susceptible to that. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability. But kind of the nitty-gritty of of what was maybe promised or committed to or even discussed, um, that is something that the Russians could feasibly in the future try to leverage against this administration. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Natasha Bertrand on perhaps the biggest mystery of Trump's presidency. What the heck did he say to Putin? Earlier this morning, the president spoke with President Putin. They had a uh, very good discussion. It was very rare um, for a U.S. president to speak to a Russian president as much as Donald Trump did. For an hour, they discussed um, nuclear agreements, both new and extended. uh, And it raised eyebrows, obviously, because of Russia's interference in the 2016 election. New evidence of Russia's determination to interfere in our election. A bipartisan report from the Senate Intelligence Committee details how Russia targeted voting systems in all 50 states and warns the threat persists today. So what I think the Biden administration now wants to know is, have we missed anything that perhaps would be relevant to our own policy reviews moving forward in these phone calls? And should we be reviewing them? I think the answer is yes. Do we know if like transcripts of these calls exist? They do. They do. So according to former officials who were in the room for these calls or who were taking notes and are responsible or were responsible for record keeping in that sense, they were stored and they were transferred to the National Archives at the end of President Trump's term. So they do exist. They were not deleted, um, even though the president, the former president, went to great lengths to keep them secret. They're still presidential records. And so now they're housed at the National Archives. Mm. Why is it that Trump was so secretive about his conversations with foreign leaders? Well, he was very paranoid about leaks. So right before we got on the air for this program, The Washington Post came out publishing two full transcripts, full transcripts of the president's phone calls early in this administration with Prime Minister Turnbull of Australia and Mexican President Peña Nieto. Early on in his administration, he had many of his phone calls with foreign leaders uh, leaked to the press. And they were 
very often quite embarrassing. I want to hit one of the highlights here from this call. When he was on the phone with Turnbull, which we knew originally that he and the Australian Prime Minister had this awkward conversation, right? But he specifically says mm. to him, I have had it. I have been making these calls all day, and this is the most unpleasant call all day. Putin was a pleasant call. This is ridiculous. So a process was put into place whereby some of these calls would be stored in this top secret system at the National Security Council, uh, which is not normal for uh, a presidential call because they're not generally top secret. Uh, a, a U.S. president is generally not speaking to adversaries about highly classified things. That that would be highly abnormal. So I think it was a combination of his desire to, you know, prevent the public from seeing his kind of free-flowing, kind of off-the-cuff style and how he might step in it every now and then with foreign leaders, and also a general, you know, awareness of how how obsequious, frankly, he was to some of these dictators, um, like Vladimir Putin, like Xi Jinping. Um, this was This was something that the White House itself was keenly aware of as well. So as Biden and his team are digging through some of these calls with Putin that were made secret, what do you think is his biggest fear? Like, what are they not hoping to see? It's a great question. I think based on my conversations with those around him, what they're most concerned about is the potential that the Russians could be having something in their back pocket that the former president might have told them that they could then leverage against the new administration. So any gaps in knowledge about what the previous administration committed to or disclosed to the Russians, that could be very problematic for this administration. It's our understanding that the new NSC, the new National Security Council, has gotten everything that it needs. And we've kind of gotten winks and nods in the direction of, yes, we have been able to see um, everything we need to inform our policy review. But at the same time, you know, you have to remember that the president, the former president, met in person with Vladimir Putin multiple times as well. Thank you very much, everybody. It's a great honor to be with President Putin. Often without any note takers or interpreters present. We have many things to discuss, including trade and including uh, some disarmament. Some, so uh, I think it's this constant, uh, you know, wariness on the part of the national security team, the new national security team of what happened during the previous administration that perhaps the Russians feel like they were promised or that they were owed or that they were told was going to happen, that now the Biden administration is like, that's news to us. We can't we can't deliver on that. And what kind of wedges is that going to create? From someone who's listening at home and hearing that, you know, we don't exactly know what Trump and Putin talked about, I feel like someone's mind might jump to thinking that, you know, maybe Trump was like, hey, Putin, um, can you help me win the 2020 election or something like that? I mean, like, is there any chance that there is a bombshell of that sort in these transcripts or, or is that just super unlikely? <laughs> I mean, I, I I think short of actually reviewing the, the call records, anything is possible, right? I mean, we just don't we just don't know because the White House was so stingy when it came to actually telling the truth about what happened on these calls. I mean, leaks would happen after the fact that would reveal information that was just kind of mind-blowing about these meetings and these calls. So I do think anything is possible. The days of the United States rolling over in the face of Russia's aggressive actions, interfering with our elections, cyber attacks, poisoning its citizens are over. 
Natasha, regardless of what Trump has said, Biden is promising a very different approach to foreign policy to leaders like Putin. We will not hesitate to raise the cost on Russia and defend our vital interest and our people. What are some of the biggest changes you're expecting to see when it comes to the Biden White House and Russia? I think it's going to go back somewhat to status quo. So we're going to see probably harsher uh responses imposed, especially because of the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, a leading opposition figure in Russia. There's also the question of bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan that the Trump administration really never responded to in any meaningful way or at all. The president, former president actually never even brought it up with Vladimir Putin. So I think there's going to be, they're reviewing it right now, but there probably are going to be a range of responses that are more severe than anything that Trump would have been comfortable with. Um, And Policies change all the time. This is constantly shifting. Um, and I don't think that the Biden administration will want to be tied down to any one particular prescription. But I do think that, you know, Biden comes into this with a very strong foreign policy background and a very keen sense of the threat that Russia poses to not only the United States, but the rest of the world. What does this mean for Vladimir Putin going from having someone who would hop on the phone for hours to a president who is treating him again as an adversary? It's certainly not fun for him. I mean, it's not it's not his ideal outcome because, of course, the Russians were um, trying to interfere in the 2020 election yet again on, on Trump's behalf, according to uh, U.S. intelligence agencies. And I think he's already seeing a lot of people from the Obama era of, you know, being tough on Russia, like Jen Psaki, for example, who's at the State Department at the time, Victoria Nuland, um, who's who's back at state. You know, they're coming back into the administration and these people are such a thorn in the side um, for, for Putin and the Kremlin. So I think that, you know, given all the opposition that he's currently facing at home, uh, the mass protests over Navalny's poisoning and arrest, the general unrest that's happening in Russia right now, that's really the, the most extreme it's been in years. This, the, the United States being led by someone who's actually willing to confront Putin on, on these issues and more is, is going to be a headache for him. Natasha Bertrand, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Also today... It's not just day two of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. It's also day two of confirmation hearings for President Biden's most controversial cabinet nominee. Neera Tandon, his pick for White House budget director, is set to appear before the Senate Budget Committee after spending yesterday apologizing during her first hearing before the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee for a history of publicly vilifying Republicans, including several GOP senators who will vote on her confirmation. During the hearing, Senator Rob Portman read aloud some of her tweets, including ones where she said vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz, calling Susan Collins the worst, and saying Tom Cotton is a fraud. Tandon, who's currently president of the left-leaning Center for American Progress, told senators that she deleted more than a thousand tweets in November because she regretted her tone and that nobody told her to scrub the social media account of harsh comments ahead of her nomination. After today's hearing, Tandon needs approval from both panels before Senate leaders can schedule a floor vote. And 
Starting next week, all Canadians returning home across the land border with the U.S. will be required to provide a negative coronavirus test. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made the announcement on Tuesday, saying authorities can apply a fine of up to 3,000 Canadian dollars per person, and that travelers entering the country are still required to quarantine for two weeks after arrival. When asked whether citizens will be turned back at the border, Trudeau said it's illegal for border officials to refuse entry to citizens and permanent residents, noting that the vast majority of people crossing the land border between the two countries are essential workers. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, you can do that by leaving a rating and review in your favorite podcast app and by telling a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.